What you're hearing is my driver asking someone on the side of the road for directions to the Great Wall of China for about the sixth time. This is Asia Rising, a podcast from Latrobe Asia. I'm Matt Smith. Today on the podcast, the Great Wall of China, its problematic perception, and why it's so hard to find something so big. Really, it's just a series of walls that don't necessarily link up, but do stretch all the way from Jiayuguan in the, the desert of Gansu province, all the way to the East China Sea at a place called uh, Shahaiguan. And so that distance is about uh, 6,000 uh, kilometers. This is James Leibold, a senior lecturer in politics at La Trobe University. He'll be playing the first guide on our tour of the Great Wall, or if you like, the monkey to our tripitaka. Archaeologists who have actually looked at other components of the wall that don't necessarily match up say that its true length could be around 20,000 kilometers. The actual length probably stretches from New York to Los Angeles, but if you were to take the bricks, the sheer bricks involved in the Great Wall, it's claimed that they could circumnavigate the entire globe. So it's not just one Great Wall, and depending on which emperor you ask, it could date back to the 7th century BCE. There are many different wall builders. Qin Shi Huangdi, the so-called first emperor of, of China, did help massively expand it by linking it up. But most of the wall that we see today is a actually a Ming Dynasty structure. Ming Dynasty being from the 1300s. The wall that you go visit at Mu Tianyu or Ba Da Ling really is a PRC construction because it was rebuilt on what was a, a Ming Dynasty uh, structure. So beyond being an old impressive structure, the Great Wall of China is hard to interpret. Not that that stops the tourists from going there. I think in many ways it's just the fame of the thing itself that uh, draws them there. This is our second guide, Dr Graham Smith. He's a research fellow at the Australian National University and host of the Little Red podcast. Or if you like, Pigsy. Well, I think for many Western visitors, they probably couldn't even unpack why it is that they are drawn to the wall and why, why the wall for any visitor to Beijing longer than, I'd say, two days. Even some people who were there for one day will just spend their entire day at the wall and, and miss out on Beijing entirely. I guess a lot of it simply comes down to it being one of the few places in the world that is ridiculously famous in that if you see a foreign visitor of any stature to China, from Prince Philip to Barack Obama, they will be photographed on this wall, next to this wall, with famous people. So it's kind of the place that people go, and it's it's the known thing about China. This great example of an ancient civilization that's kind of fallen on disrepair, like the wall itself. Richard Nixon, when he visited in 1972, uh, when he's up on the wall, he said uh, quite famously, I think that uh, this is a you great have to wall. conclude that, that this is a great wall and that it had to be built by a great people. Uh, many lives, of course, were lost in building it because there was no machinery or equipment at the time. It had to all be done by hand. Uh, but uh, under the circumstances, it uh, is a certainly symbol of what China in the past has been and what China in the future can become. While the Great Wall may have been built for a functional reason, to keep people on one side safe from the people on the other side, the world has become captivated by its size and scale. 
This symbolism has made the Great Wall seem even bigger than it actually is. The almost plausible and persistent myth is that you can see it from space. This has long since been debunked. When Neil Armstrong was on the Apollo uh, missions, um, he supposedly claimed that you know from the moon or from the lunar module he could see uh, he could see the Great Wall. Others have argued that it was just a cloud formation that he thought. And it's only quite recently that the Chinese themselves submitted that it can't be seen when they their own astronauts were up in space looking. Hopefully, to find the Great Wall, they realize that uh, actually can't be seen from space. No surprise. Speaking of looking, hopefully, to find the Great Wall. No, not yet. But then again, I could have made it easier for myself. Closer to Beijing is a section of the Great Wall called Badaling, which has become quite the tourist trap. I mean, first you gotta. You wade your way out in Beijing traffic to get to the wall. You will sit like in a car park of cars just to kind of get out of uh, Beijing. It takes at least an hour and a half. And then finally wind your way through the kind of countryside, which has been transformed into all these little um, guest houses. And then when you get to the, the wall, it's, you know, teeming with people. I mean, just, you know, the sheer uh, masses of people, particularly, you know, during the spring and fall period. You know, there's a cable car up to it. There's even a toboggan that you can ride down uh, from the Great Wall. Theme park. The- yeah, a theme park of sorts. Yeah. Uh, gone from being a defensive barricade to a theme park. Cable cars, toboggans, trinkets, and even a pit of performing sun bears hardly give an authentic experience, but maybe it doesn't need to be. If you look them up online, these wall experiences get a lot of praise. An authentic wall experience possibly is is not there to be had. But, I mean, if, as long as you go there and have fun, which is why I kind of like the toboggan ride at Mujer U. I mean, who doesn't like a toboggan ride? Everything else that goes with the wall, you, you'll bring your own cultural baggage by, to a certain extent, the, the manufactured uh, myth of, of, of Chinese greatness behind the wall. And, you know, you'll you hopefully go away happy, and I think that's enough. Without generalising too much, the Great Wall has a strong association with modern China. Much like the Three Gorges Dam, it has become a symbol of national pride and engineering achievement. You know, and that picks up on kind of its very problematic symbolism for China. Mm. You know, it essentially is a wall in this era where China wants to open up to the world, wants to be a part of the global community. You know, walls are highly problematic. It's not barriers that you want, rather you want... Things like the, the Silk Road, which has also emerged as an important kind of symbol of China. Mm. But that one is a far more open uh, symbol as opposed to the wall. You know, the Great Wall is a kind of, uh, kind of insular, inward-looking, defensive, nationalistic China. The Silk Road, that kind of open, cosmopolitan, expansive China. These two are, uh, I think, at odds uh, w- with one another. If it were left to the Chinese, this contradiction mightn't have been a problem, because the popularising of the wall actually occurs amongst Westerners. If you sort of read um, accounts of early Westerners looking to see the wall, Chinese at the time were, were, were greatly perplexed that anyone would be even slightly interested in, in what was a pile of ruins 
um, you know, occasionally used by farmers to build farmhouses, but otherwise an entirely neglected uh, structure and in, in many ways a military embarrassment and, and kind of a symbol in, in, in those days of China's backwardness that, that anyone would have been foolish enough to build a wall that didn't work. Over time, that's come to change, though, and, and the wall now is, is a very different sort of symbol and, and means very different things to Chinese people. It was only quite recently, really only in the post-Mao period, that it's been promoted as a kind of symbol of China or it's emerged as a symbol of China. It's also a problematic symbol. For example, if you remember the opening ceremony of the um, uh, Beijing Olympics, the Great Wall only appeared very momentarily uh, before it kind of exploded into a peach blossom, which is a traditional symbol of openness. Because it's, it's problematic. The wall was there. It was a barricade against, um, you know, nomadic I- invaders from the north. Olympic Games where you're talking about, you know, one world, one dream, you know. Walls have no place in that regard. The modern parallel, of course, that stands out is the Trumpian Wall. I don't think there's any suggestion that the uh, Chinese emperors expected the Mongols or the Manchus to pay for their wall. But in many ways, it's a symbol of an inward-looking nation, of a small nation, in in many ways of a weak nation that uh, has ceased to sort of look outwards and confidently and is now looking inwards fearfully. So in that sense, it's a very problematic uh, symbol. I mean, whether you're fearing Mexicans or whether you're fearing Manchus, you're fearing, and it's, it's not you at your best. But that said, I mean, you've got to go see it. I mean, when you do stand there, it's just quite remarkable, really. Yeah. Particularly the way it um, snakes up and down these um, these ravines. The time, technological skill that was required to make it is, is quite amazing. So, I mean, it is in that regard, it is great. <laughs> mm. and, it, and it is worth beholding. I'm not taking anything. When the driver finally stopped and pulled up at the side of a mountain, he pointed to a trail, tipped back his seat and pulled his hat down over his eyes. For the next 20 minutes, I climbed up the mountain yeah. and eventually yeah. I came upon the Great Wall. Now, I wasn't expecting this, but sitting on top of the wall was an old man with a homemade ladder. No, he wasn't dispensing okay. ancient okay. wisdom, but for a reasonable fee, he would let me climb that ladder and get on top of the wall. Silly me, I wasn't expecting to be hit up for a 20 on top of a mountain in China. But luckily, this man was a great ambassador for his country, and as an aside, he was sitting on a better office chair than I'd ever owned. Okay, okay. thank you. So, this way or that way? No. Okay, go that way. Alright, thank you. Walking up a remote mountain to reach a deserted and neglected stretch of the Great Wall, the lengths we go to for an authentic experience. Well, I mean, I guess anyone's experience can be labelled authentic as long as they believe it's authentic. I guess the way you seek authenticity as a wall visitor is to see the bits that, of course, the tourists don't see. And uh, I very much bought into this in the uh, late 90s and early noughties when I went hiking, you know, the, the least explored bits of the wall. And I would, you know, do things like take a train from Xijiamen um, to the north of Beijing and, and go hiking with a handful of friends, some of them Westerners, some of them Chinese, and see parts of the wall that, you know, really were um, wilderness that were very rarely uh, 
visited and, and you know we, we counted those as authentic experiences but what makes that more authentic than a trip to Bartling I really don't know. This area of the Great Wall wasn't well maintained but that just added to the charm. It was crumbling and steep, at times I was scrabbling over rocks but I pretty much had it to myself. Authentic or not, symbol or not, it was damn impressive. If I had to drag these stones up here I'd be absolutely stuffed. That's it today for Asia Rising. My thanks today goes to my guides and great sages equal to heaven, Jim Leibold and Graham Smith. You can follow Jim on Twitter, he's at jleibold. You can follow Graham on Twitter, he's at Graham K. Smith. You can subscribe to Asia Rising in iTunes and SoundCloud, and a review or a five-star rating would be greatly appreciated. Thanks also goes to Diana Hethridge, who was with me on the trip to the Great Wall, and generally did all the organising and people wrangling that was needed. Until the next podcast, I'm Matt Smith, and thanks for listening.